0: Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Susie Green, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, and welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education Podcast Series 4, where I'll be chatting to those pioneers of positive education, those that have forged forward in their mission to create flourishing students, staff, and whole school communities. I'll be speaking to POSED pioneers from various schools around Australia over coming weeks to talk with them about their experiences and journeys in positive education. I hope you enjoy the show. Today I'm speaking with Rhiannon Magee. Rhiannon is the Director of Student Engagement and Experience at Geelong Grammar School, leading the school's wellbeing strategy across four campuses and overseeing its Indigenous programs. Rhiannon commenced her time at GGS as Head of Positive Education, and prior to this, she held a range of wellbeing leadership positions in other schools. Most recently, as Director of Wellbeing and Positive Education at Loretto-Turak, where she oversaw the development and implementation of a whole school approach to positive education. Rhiannon's passionate about the promotion of community wellbeing, and she's committed to strengthening the nexus between research, policy and practice in the educational context. This has led her to complete the Masters of Education in Student Wellbeing and the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology at the University of Melbourne. Rhiannon is also an English teacher with an interest in the arts, philosophy and politics. So welcome back, Rhiannon McGee. Thank you, Susie. Great to be back. It's uh, really lovely to have you here, and uh, you are the only guest that's made a a second uh, return to the Pioneers of POSED podcast. Well, (laughs) I'm (laughs) honoured. Thank you. And we were just reflecting, actually, that when you were on last time, it was September 29, and uh, Mm -hmm. only really months before the world changed, Rhiannon.
1: Oh, it feels like a millennium ago.
0: <laughs> exactly. And look, I guess before we get into the questions and today I'm really going to focus in on your approach to coaching and we have been fortunate to work with you this year on that. But Ooh. I'm really curious, do you feel that the investment in I guess the skills of well-being, the knowledge and the skills of well-being has helped buffer some of the impact of COVID with staff at least and students?
1: Look, yeah, I mean, it's very hard to say, but without, you know, all the measurements <laughs> that one would, would want to inform one's thinking around this, but I think what I, what I can say based on my own anecdotal experience is that when you have invested in teaching explicit skills around wellbeing, in engaging staff and students in the kinds of practices that might offer, them against those challenging experiences, you can be confident that you are dipping into a toolkit that's already already present and that when you are trying to support staff and students through challenging times, that you have a common language mm-hmm. and a common set of practices that you can remind them of um, and encourage them to draw on. So, you know, time will tell as to what, what the impact has been, but I do feel as if our school community. And you, know, and you can't underestimate the challenges that they have experienced um, with all the shifts and changes of the last 18 months or so, but that there has been a common language and a common understanding of the way we can be proactive about our well-being in the face of these challenges. Yeah. So
0: you, you weren't starting from scratch by any means, were you? When no as you said, you had that common language, you had those skills, but as um, as I know, and I'm sure you know, even when you're equipped with these skills in quite a sophisticated way, you know, mm-hmm. having invested in, in learning and applying them for many, many years, when you're mm-hmm. in the eye of the storm, it can be very challenging at an individual level to even consider, you know, that applying those skills, which is why I'm really big on the uh, <laughs> there's a great little video called lessons from geese and uh, mm. I'm, I'm calling it sort of the goose effect if you like so geese fly in a v formation and so when one's mm. not w- flying well and dropping back the other geese drop back to help it and so that analogy for me is like the more people we have equipped with these skills even if you you do have the skills as i said and but you're in the eye of the storm and it's really challenging to apply them at least just surrounded by the system that can support you
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of our emphases, and this is certainly not led necessarily by me, but but many of our leaders in the school and our school principal have been on being authentic and being open and honest about some of the challenges we're having and, and how we're navigating those. So at our recent school assembly, which was via Zoom because we were in another lockdown, um, we had a conversation with our school, uh, school captains, our principal, myself, and some other leaders in the school about what practices we've been engaging with that have helped us navigate the last 18 months and you know also being really honest about the fact we have been challenged and so that conversation is something we've been emphasizing and you know it is about leadership setting the the standard in that way as well.
0: Yes and carving out that time for reflection which now leads Mm. me to the topic of coaching (laughs) because uh, for me one of the real strengths and benefits of taking a coaching approach is Mm. that it creates that reflective space. And uh, in the very busy lives that educators and anyone working in a school has, you know, it's very challenging to find that space, isn't it, Rhiannon? Absolutely. So can we start, because you have quite a long history, you are not only just a pioneer in POSED more broadly, you're definitely a pioneer in looking at coaching applications in schools. Mm. What actually led you to, or how did you first learn about it, come across it, and yeah, what's led you to becoming, I guess, a real supporter of that approach?
1: Well, I think it was, first of all, an exposure to coaching in my previous school, uh, which was Loretto Turak, and we introduced a coaching approach for our staff, and while there were challenges associated with that, there were also some real, there was some real potential I saw in this coaching approach for personal development, for building relationships, and so on. And so, that that was my first exposure, and then I undertook the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology at Melbourne University. And through that study really did zero in on coaching and your research, as I've mentioned before, Susie, and started to see within the context of the work I was also undertaking at the time at my previous school around positive education, started to see that these really complementary approaches and that I've become clearer on this over the years, but, you know, positive education certainly provides, whether it's students or staff, with some key concepts and practices that can be beneficial, coaching has the potential to really help individuals create a personal plan for themselves and apply those strategies that are most beneficial to them in a meaningful way. So I I see coaching as extending the work of positive education and, and so when we were bringing in positive education at my previous school a couple of years down the track, we did start to introduce coaching. In conjunction with, with your team, Susie, mm-hmm. and that really did complement our approach. And then coming to Geelong Grammar, we already had some coaching in place with the coaching team that were really the champions of coaching in the organisation. But then, with uh, some like-minded leaders, decided that this might be an approach we could really do more work to implement and really leverage the significant that work that's been done in the last ten years or so around positive education at Geelong Grammar School.
0: Fantastic. So. Just um, referring back to your, I guess, reference to creating personal plans and really personalising the knowledge uh, that we gain from learning about you know, the science of wellbeing or the science of optimal human functioning. And I guess it, it's aligned to the, that early research um, by Louva on person activity fit too, in a yes. sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think probably also working in schools and any educator who's listening will know that you know, coming in and teaching positive educational or well-being or personal development or pastoral care, whatever's going on, isn't always easy. And that's because you know, if you're dealing with adolescents, sometimes they're not really you know in a position to feel comfortable in that more vulnerable space. But also, my observation can be that what we're teaching is not always relevant to them at that particular time. So, you know, I think we still need to expose students and young people to the breadth of the well-being science but I think we also need to do more to listen to them and to respond to them and to give them the opportunity to make some choices and I suppose that's been our focus particularly at Geelong Grammar with the introduction of the coaching approach we want to cultivate student agency we want students to feel equipped to navigate their pathway through school and beyond and yes that person activity fits approach is very relevant. They should be able to identify and make choices as to what's going to be most beneficial to them.
0: Absolutely. And that taps into that intrinsic motivation too, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we want.
0: So before we come back to what you're currently doing at Geelong, at Loretto Turak, where we mentioned I'm I'm really fortunate to work with you on, it was focused more so to the staff at Rhiannon, wasn't it? And yes. uh, we'll talk to a little bit today about the different approaches you can take when looking at coaching applications in schools. But could you just tell us a little bit of the sna- a snapshot of what actually happened with the
1: staff? Yes, yeah, so we, as I mentioned, we were probably two years or so into our positive education journey at Loretto where we'd brought in a whole school approach and had in- implemented a subject and a great deal of professional learning to support this approach. But then the next phase is really, introducing coaching to our staff or reintroducing because as I mentioned we had had a program prior to that and so that began with some broader professional learning as to the fundamentals of coaching for all of our staff and the idea there was to provide that foundation but also to engage those staff who might become our coaching champions Mm -hmm. in some further professional learning so then from From that initial experience, we did have a group of champions who expressed an interest in learning more, participate in a day-long workshop. And I should say that we also provided some further training for our leaders around coaching for leaders, really. And so that was about how can they integrate coaching into their leadership practice. But then these coaching champions were really charged with driving the integration and implementation of coaching in the broader school Um, system, whether it be through our positive education, whether it be through our pastoral care structures. And and they were the ones who really continued to propel that momentum in relation to coaching. And you
0: also utilised it for peer learning and peer coaching approach as well. Is that
1: right? Yes, we did. So coaching was really a vehicle uh, for ongoing professional learning. So, we did have our staff, I, you know, we might as a school have identified learning areas for the year or within those learning areas, staff might have identified areas of focus for them. And then through undertaking the coaching triad approach where in professional learning sessions, staff would have the opportunity to be a coach and to coach their colleague around their particular goal or objective, and they would also have the opportunity to be a coachee being coached, but then we'd also have staff providing feedback, that third person observing the coaching process. So not only were we helping them develop their coaching skills, but also they were, you know, setting and pursuing goals which would enhance their practice.
0: Yeah, because I guess it's it's very much like New Year's resolutions, isn't it? Like we all have great <sighs> intentions at the beginning of the year. We set our goals and then what happens? Well, you know, the science is pretty strong around that, that most people I don't think even, you know, fall off the wagon by the end of January. So mm. um, if we don't have a process in place, and for me, that is coaching. Mm. And I often differentiate goal setting from goal striving because mm. generally People aren't too bad at at setting goals, although there's always opportunities to smarten them up. Is that acronym that we use? Mm. But it's the goal striving process where people can very easily become, you know, distracted. We've all got a lot on, and again, without that reflective space, it's very easy to not progress with your goals, which can then Mm. lead to frustration or disappointment, which is not great for our
1: mood. And uh, Mm. often we uh, give it all up, don't we? We do, and I think it's that process of setting a goal, of uh, taking the steps towards achieving that goal, coming back and reflecting, adjusting that pathway. That's a really important process for us to engage with as professionals, but also for students to engage with. And I think we do a lot of work in schools around goal setting, but then we don't really provide that ongoing support for students in terms of how they're going to achieve that goal or strive for that goal, as you mentioned. So I think you know, the more we are exposed to that process of goal setting and goal striving and, and, you know, I know it's a process of self-regulation really and that's something I I learned from you, Susie. (laughs) Hopefully we can start to adopt that ourselves and, and integrate that into our approach to life. And, you know, that's certainly our hope for our students as well as our staff
0: such a good point, Rhiannon, because the aim is that we, you know, we're not meant to have a a coach working with us for all through our lives. Although at certain transition times, I I can attest to the fact of the benefit of working with somebody external at certain life transition times, but yes, you're right. You're trying to build up, and that's why coaching is called, referred to assisted Mm. self-regulation, build up that self-regulatory capacity so that students can self-regulate and self-coach more efficiently and Mm -hmm. particularly as they're moving out into the the world. Absolutely, yeah. And of course, teachers often do embrace coaching because they see the benefit and many of them are natural coaches anyway, which is uh, always a joy to work with staff that really embrace that approach. But can you tell us a little bit about what's been happening at, at GGS this year and the new learning coach role that you've created?
1: Definitely, and it's this is our next evolution, I suppose, of our whole school approach to well-being, but what we call a holistic approach to education at Geelong Grammar School, and you know we've been very lucky, I suppose, to have all the right ingredients in place to take on a more systemic approach, I suppose, to coaching. So we have had a strong. Focus on positive education, of course, over the last 12 years or so. And now we've been able to build on that by introducing the role of a learning coach. So at our Rio campus, which has our middle and senior schools, we have created time in our timetable. So we've got about five periods of fortnight for what we're calling Navigate Middle School program for years seven and eight. And at years 10, 11, and 12, it's our senior school pathways program. So these programs involve the typical cause ed and being elements, as well as a focus of careers and vocational pathways, as well as a focus on developing skills for learning and in the middle school, interdisciplinary self-directed learning projects. But then the vehicle for all of this is really a coaching approach. So we have about 53 or 54 learning coaches across middle and senior school that have groups of approximately 15 students. And they've been undertaking some coaching training with with your team, Susie, to start to implement key coaching skills and strategies to inform what we're calling a coaching approach. So as part of these navigator pathways programs, our students work with their learning coaches to shape student action plans where they identify key goals and priorities for their term and have the opportunity to check in with their learning coach throughout the term to reflect on their progress to adjust their approach and to share strategies that are working so this is something that we're still on the journey of of evolving and developing but you know we're into term three now and with our learning coaches have undertaken three workshops where they learned some or coaching skills, and they're starting to implement them into their practice. So we're still very much in the early stages of this shift in practice, but, you know, starting to see some really positive outcomes. So that's great.
0: That's fantastic. And just remind me, Rhiannon, there is some opportunity because even with 15 students, it's a lot within a session for the learning coach to work one-on-one, but there is Mm. some opportunity to do some one-on-one within that as well.
1: Yeah, so, and and this is where, you know, working within the traditional school structure, you come up against some challenges because mm-hmm. in a perfect world, those would have private coaching sessions that, you know, where you're not surrounded by 14 other students and, you know, sometimes having to classroom manage all of that. But we've been problem solving with our learning coaches and finding ways that we can balance the two because the way that we structure the program and the term calendar is that, there are lessons when we focus on content and the programmatic elements, but then there are lessons when students go on with other tasks that we've given them or their own self-directed learning they're in senior school. And that provides the opportunity for our learning coaches to have one-on-one conversations. And then of course, it's about where you have those conversations. So, you know, we, we do tend to have them sit outside of the classroom so that those conversations can take place. So we're still refining our approach and working within the confines of the school system but there's certainly opportunity for those one-on-one conversations and our whole theme this year has been on the power of conversation so it's definitely been a focus for us
0: Fantastic, Rhiannon. Because I mean, sometimes there are I guess misconceptions are still. Even though I find you know I've been doing this for a while, I still find that there are mm. a lot of misconceptions around what coaching is. Often, people think it is very much Tony Robbins, you know, performance type approach. Mm. Which, of course, it absolutely can support performance and academic. Achievement, but it's also very much, as you know, about building uh, well being as well. So, mm. we can definitely support student and staff's well being with the coaching approach. And I just draw um, listeners' attention there is, if you are interested, a chapter in a book that I co edited called Positive Psychology Coaching in Practice. There's a chapter in there. By myself, uh, my lovely colleagues, Clive Leach, who's done extensive work in international schools across the globe. He's in the UK, and also my other colleague, Daniela Falecki, who's done extensive work in schools. And it's on PERMA powered coaching. So it, uh, it actually looks at how we use coaching to build PERMA, which, so that might be of interest to people listening mm. as well. But in terms of a coaching culture, be keen to hear like, what what are your plans for the future? Because if I just paint a very brief picture of what an ideal coaching culture might look like to me, Mm -hmm. it would be where all staff have the basics of having, as you say, coaching conversations or what the late great Professor Anthony Grant Referred to as quality conversations as part of third generation coaching. And again, we'll put a mm. link to that article um, on our Facebook page. So all staff would have that. So they'd be, it would just be, you know, in terms of a culture. This is just how things are done around here. This is just the way that we approach mm. things in terms of being solution focused. We'd also have, as you're you've been focusing on, leader as coach. So the leaders in particular uh, would be able to be taking a coaching approach in their roles, formal roles as leaders. We'd have peer coaching opportunities around their PL and their wellbeing. We'd have teacher as coach, again, perhaps in the format that you've created at GGS, or it might be uh, individual student coaching in year 11 and year 12, which Mount St. Michael's in Brisbane have done successfully mm. for many years. And um, we've also just started trialing student group coaching with uh, one of our team members and then one of the in-house I guess, like a learning coach role, if you like. And that's been quite successful. We've just piloted that this year. And then there's also student peer coaching where they can Mm. coach each other. And then um, finally, being really clear about when you might use an external professional coach. And there are benefits. Definitely, you want to build up your coaching capability in house, but there are certain times and certain benefits to when you might bring in an external coach, particularly from a leadership perspective. So, what are your Mm. plans? That's a lot, isn't it, Rhiannon? (laughs) It It, is.
1: You know, I think one of the lessons I took from the study I did at Melbourne University was, you know, it's important to know your what your change lever is. So, if you're trying to bring in systemic change or cultivate a whole school approach. You know, you've you've named a range of different inns, I suppose, Susie, Mm -hmm. that you might then build on. So I think some of the things that we have been able to achieve have been some pilots in our boarding houses and other contexts as to integrating coaching into our past care. We've obviously been able to bring in the learning coach role with a focus on coaching students. We've had our coaching team in the past coach colleagues, so that's been another Avenue that we've taken, and we certainly do have uh, external coaches working with our, our leaders. So that's a fabulous practice, I suppose, because we learn best about coaching, I believe, when we coach well, as you said. But there's there's lots of potential to do more. So as part of our approach this year, because of course we've been focusing on one of our main campuses, our Corio campus, but we have three other campuses. So we also provided cross-campus staff the opportunity to engage in some coaching workshops, and again that was. Similar to the approach at Loretto, engaging staff who might become champions, who might consider how we bring these practices into our other campuses and what would work in those contexts. We definitely want to focus on providing our students with uh, coaching skills training and helping them, particularly the senior students, integrate that into their practice and their support of the younger students. So we're going to trial a little intervention I suppose later in the year where our year 10 students learn some key coaching skills and then they work with year 8 students as they start to prepare for our timber top campus so that might be one little practice run but the group coaching that you mentioned Susie I'm really keen on because you know the educators listening we know that you know it's not realistic to upskill and to train every single staff member so that they are accredited coaches we really need to look at ways to provide the most people with the most exposure to professional learning or the coaching approach. So I really, I think what we'll run next year are a range of master classes for our, our teachers so that we can start to develop different approaches and group coaching might be one that really works in the context of our navigated pathways program. So the idea, I suppose, is always starting with professional learning yes. and slowly, slowly upskilling our staff so that they can then Look at ways to integrate coaching and and help cultivate that coaching culture. And, And as you say, really the idea is about improving the quality of our conversations. That's really been an emphasis. And taking a solutions focused, strengths based approach, whether it's in conversation with our colleagues, whether it's supporting our students, whether it's students supporting students, I think it really does help embed that you know fundamental premise of positive psychology and positive education with which is the strengths-focused approach. So, you know, it brings that practice. How do we actually bring that to life? Well, coaching is one way of doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just a couple of uh, reflections. One is the benefit, I guess, in identifying staff that really do resonate with it and have an intrinsic motivation to learn more. And a number Mm. of the schools I've worked with a member of staff has gone on to do a master's in coaching psychology or you know there is the one at the university of east london which is a cp mm-hmm. which is pos psych and coaching psych so it's great because you have again b- building up your internal capability in terms of coaching can be really really helpful the yes. other reflection i wanted to make was with the senior high school students going out into the world of work mm. if they are moving in particularly into a formal leadership role Coaching is a primary, well, I would argue a foundational approach to leadership. So yeah. to already have had exposure and practice prior to going out into the world of work puts them in a, a great place, I would suggest.
1: Absolutely. And that is one of the, you know, that really resonated with me a few years ago in Sydney. We had that coaching and pos conference and Christian van Neuwenberg spoke about that. And I thought, yes, that's actually what we're trying to do here. We're trying to prepare them for the world beyond. And imagine if they go into the world with those skills already. Well, there's so much we could talk about. (laughs) I know you love
0: this just as much as I do, (laughs) Um, but you're doing such incredible work again, inspiring as you, Geelong, have done from the very beginning, inspiring other schools. And uh, our hope is that other schools, perhaps particularly ones that have been on the POSED journey for a while, Mm. consider how coaching may be the secret source, if you like, to to bringing it to life. So, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge, experience, and wisdom today, Rhiannon.
1: It's been my absolute pleasure, Susie. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education Podcast Series 4. If you're enjoying the series and you're a school leader who wants to take a strategic and sustainable approach to Posed, contact us at info at the to find out how we might work with you and your school. In the meantime, you might like to check out my new podcast, The Positivity Prescription, available on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to sign up for our free e-news at the Positivity Institute website, where you'll be kept in the loop for all things positive. Bye for now.